A report comes out of Porta Alegre, Brazil, about a couple who recently filed for divorce. The husband and farmer is a man named Romeo Bittencourt. He's 90 years old. He and his wife have been married 65 years. Together they have 12 kids, 50 grandkids, and 36 great-grandkids. Yet they're calling their marriage quits. It seems strange that a couple in their 90s with such a rich history wouldn't want to work through their problems and stick out their marriage. But what sounds even stranger is the reason that the bidden courts have given for their divorce. The divorce papers read, incompatibility. Incompatibility? you got to be kidding. After a half century of shared experience and a hundred plus offspring, you'd think a couple could find a few commonalities. That over the years, they would have developed a few unifying interests that would hold them together. You'd think the last complaint the bidden courts would ever voice would be a lack of compatibility. Yet compatibility and cohesiveness and closeness in a marriage doesn't happen automatically. Just years together, just kids together, just the day in and day out together doesn't always cement a bond between two people. Sadly, the bidden courts prove that two people can be married for 65 years and yet still be strangers. I'm a basketball fan, and one of the first lessons that you learn in basketball is that the team with the best players doesn't always win. A roster full of superstars doesn't ensure victory. To be a successful basketball team, those star players have to become unselfish, and they have to be willing to mesh their talents and learn to play together as a team. In basketball, you can dress five superstars in the same uniform, place them on the court at the same time, but it won't necessarily make for a good team. And likewise, you can take a man and a woman, walk them through a wedding ceremony, give them the same last name, put them in the same home, set them up in a new life together, and that couple won't automatically become a winning team. Reminds me of the wedding reception as the newlyweds left the church in the limo One lady remarked, there they go, the two have become one. Her husband added, yeah, now the only question is which one? You see, a good marriage is not an annihilation or an assimilation. It's an amalgamation. It's not one person losing their identity to the other or two people getting swallowed up in each other. It's two people finding a new identity as husband and wife. To be a marital team, a couple has to embrace a common purpose. They have to sense that their marriage is bigger than themselves, that more is at stake in their relationship than just their personal interests. They have to push aside individual agendas and develop similar goals. And they have to learn to work together, respect, cooperation, Humility, understanding, communication, and most importantly, trust are all needed for two people to work in tandem. They both have to believe that their joint effort is critical to their overall success. 
And for the Christian couple, nothing merges and meshes marriage as thoroughly as does ministry. A common ministry is a marriage's best friend. Years ago, Discipleship Journal published an article entitled, Making Ministry a Family Affair. Here's an excerpt. Busy schedules and the stresses of modern life tend to pull family members apart. Serving Christ together in a ministry produces a strong bond that holds members together. In other words, the couple that serves together stays together. When you see your marriage as more than just a means to personal happiness, but as a path to committed service, it adds a wow to your vow. Suddenly, you have an eternal reason to rot out the temporal troubles. Ministry strengthens a marriage. A common ministry enrolls a couple in a purpose greater than themselves. Now they see their marriage as only one small part of God's greater plan. And as a result, they don't have time to focus on the petty, picky, trivial, selfish concerns that sidetrack most marriages. Ministry provides a marriage with a mission. It keeps it focused. Ministry together, serving the Lord together, should be the driving force in all Christian marriages. I believe the ultimate reason you're married to your spouse is that God knows the two of you can be more effective for Him together than you could ever be apart. You find a new glue when you realize that God wants to use your relationship to bring other people into relationship with Him. Here's an area of ministry or an area of life where I can give personal testimony. For one month after Kathy and I got married, we started a church in our home. We got married August the 23rd, 1980. Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain's first Sunday was the last week of September. Just about 38 years ago from today, we started a church in our home. There were five single adults meeting in our living room. We married with the conviction that we had been called to serve God together, and we got going immediately. I suppose there have been times when the demands of ministry have placed a certain degree of stress on our marriage. And I have no doubt the, that, that that has sort of uh, been an issue that we've had to work with and deal with from time to time. But I also have no doubt that the good that ministry has done for our marriage has far overshadowed any harm that it may have caused. You see, when you're fighting the devil together, you don't have much energy left to fight it with each other. When you're focused on helping others and meeting their needs, there's not a lot of opportunity for you to get too selfish. When you're busy serving the Lord, you don't have a lot of time left to serve yourself. There's an unusual harmony in a foxhole. Ministry keeps our eyes off ourselves and on the bigger world around us. Ministry keeps a couple from turning inward and cannibalizing and feeding on itself. Sadly, too many marriages have become introverted. They're like an ingrown toenail. Rather than grow out in healthy ways, they get infected with selfishness. A couple needs the fresh air of a higher purpose, room to grow in grace. Couples need a spiritual manicure. I suppose it's true. You can win the world and lose your own family. 
And of course, what have you accomplished? But it's just as true. You can be so focused on your own family that you forget about a whole world that's dying and going to hell. Jesus' great commissions calls me to go beyond the four walls of my house. And I'm suggesting the best way to do that is with your spouse. Kathy and I can also say with certainty that ministry keeps marriage exciting. It turns life into an adventure. The thrills and the challenges and rewards of serving the Lord together have produced far more fulfillment than if we'd spent the last 38 years serving only ourselves. We've seen God use our lives and our marriage to populate eternity. God has given us a thrilling life. We hold a tremendous joy and a sense of fulfillment in our hearts because we've blended marriage and ministry. And I'm convinced that God wants to build up your marriage. Not so you can sit on God's mantle and just be admired by other people. No, He wants to use your marriage to impact other people. God wants to place your marriage in His toolbox, not just in His trophy case. He wants your marriage to matter for His kingdom. In God's plan for His people, even for husbands and wives, marriage and ministry go hand in hand. And nowhere is this better illustrated than in the marriage of two New Testament characters, Aquila and Priscilla. Quilly and Priscilla were two of Paul's pals. They're mentioned five different times in the New Testament. And in each case, they're commended by the Holy Spirit for their devoted service to the Lord and to His church. You see, their marriage wasn't a deserted island. It was a busy harbor. They opened their lives and their home, and they became a refuge for many, many people. Their marriage became a place where folks could find peace and serenity and safety and protection. Their marriage sheltered people from the rough seas of a storm-tossed world. And realize, Aquila wasn't a pastor. He and Priscilla, they weren't professionals. They were never financially compensated for their service. They just loved people. Here's the key to their effectiveness. When Aquila and Priscilla married, their goal was not necessarily to live happily ever after as much as it was to live actively ever after. They devoted their marriage to a lifetime of ministry for Jesus' sake, and God used them greatly. You know, it's interesting, whenever their names appear in the Scripture, they're always paired together. They were a tag team. You know, they say that Priscilla had a nickname for her husband. She would always call him Aquila, my hun. Aquila, my hun. And not only did this couple minister together in their free time, they also worked together during the day. They were tent makers. To spend so much time together, they must have had tremendous patience and sensitivity toward one another. They valued each other's advice and opinion. It's also, also interesting that in the six times that their names appear in tandem, half of those times the female name Priscilla comes first. And this is more than incidental. In ancient times, the man's name always preceded the woman's. So when Paul deliberately pinned Priscilla 
and Aquila rather than Aquila and Priscilla, he was making a statement. It must have meant that Priscilla was the most gifted. She was perhaps the more vocal of the two. This is probably true of most marriages here today. The wife is the more gifted. (laughs) Everyone knows that women in general are more skilled and more talented than men. A man once laughed. While equality of the sexes sounds like a fine idea, I doubt if women would ever agree to it. I agree. Here's my point. Priscilla was a gifted girl, and Aquila appreciated her talents and her gifts. Rather than be jealous, rather than try to hold her down, he loved her and he encouraged her in the ministry. And I'm sure Priscilla adhered to the biblical roles for marriage. She respected her husband's leadership. Though she had a more public ministry, perhaps, and more dynamic gifts, she still supported Aquila as the head of her home. She trusted God to guide her through him. In their marriage, Aquila wasn't jealous of Priscilla's gifts, and Priscilla didn't resent Aquila's leadership. They worked together. The first place we find Aquila and Priscilla in the Scriptures is here in Acts chapter 18, Verses 1 through 4. Let's read our text. Acts chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Here we learn that Aquila and Priscilla were Jews from Pontus on the Black Sea. They had migrated to Rome and they were living there in 52 AD when the emperor Claudius issued an edict expelling the Jews from the capital city. They packed up and they moved to Greece. And there they went to the market in Corinth. They rented some space. They set up shop. They were tent makers. Well, it's interesting. Paul was also a tent maker by trade. So when he arrived in Corinth, he met Aquila and Priscilla. And they took Paul on as a partner. The three of them became co-workers in Christ, but also co-workers in business. We're told in Acts that Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months, persuading people to follow Jesus. At first, he taught in the synagogue. Then he moved next door into the house of justice. And for the duration of his stay in Corinth, he was Aquila and Priscilla's house guest. I'll never forget our first house guest. I was on my way to church one Sunday morning, and I happened to pick up a hitchhiker. He'd come from Michigan for a job interview, and he wanted a lift to Martin Robbins Fence Company, which just happened to be down the street from where I lived. So I told him I'd take him to Martin Robbins Fence Company if he came with me to church. He agreed, and that morning he heard the gospel for the first time. He came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. We took him home that afternoon, and before we knew it, we'd invited him to spend the night on the couch. And what a night that was. Kathy and I were newlyweds, and I was scared for her 
What if he was a psycho? What if he had a gun? We didn't know this man. When we closed the bedroom door that night, I actually remember pushing the dresser over to block the door. We even slept with the window open that night and had our bathrobes nearby just in case we had to make a quick escape. Turned out the fellow wasn't a psycho. He actually was a very nice guy. He stayed with us for about two weeks before moving in with another brother in our fellowship. But that first night was a little spooky. Hey, it's not easy to take in a house guest, even if it's the Apostle Paul. To take care of Paul for 18 months, we're talking about a major invasion of a couple's privacy. We know, too, that Aquila and Priscilla had a small house. This is why the church in Corinth met for Bible study at the home of justice. Apparently, they were renting an efficiency apartment, and yet they were still willing to share the place with their new friend, Paul. I'm not saying you should start picking up hitchhikers and bringing them home, although if the Lord leads you to do so, I'm sure he'll protect you in the process. Yet I know couples who won't even invite someone over for dinner because they don't want to clean their house and wash a few extra dishes as a consequence. To them, hospitality is an inconvenience. Letting someone sleep in your spare bedroom or on the couch, even a friend, oh, that would be totally out of the question. It's too much of a disruption to your daily life. Hey, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down three words. Take people in. Take people in. Aquila and Priscilla, they open their lives to other people. Their marriage and their home were not their exclusive property. It belonged to God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, actually several times in the New Testament, Paul tells us that Christians should be given to hospitality. The word hospitality is related to the word hospital. You know, so often our homes are like many fortresses. We put up protective walls around ourselves and around our kids. Our main objective is to keep the world out. But God wants us to be including. He wants us to invite folks in, especially hurting people. Is your home a place for healing? The Greek word translated hospitality implies a pursuit or a chase. We're to be aggressively seeking those who are wounded. We need to be taking those folks in who need it, if just for a meal or for an encouraging evening, but to help heal their wounds. It's been said, love seeks not limits, but outlets. When my son Nick was six years old, he walked into the room one day and he said, Dad, Mac, his brother, who was three at the time, he just joined my new club. We want you to join too. Well, I asked Nick, I said, Nick, what's the name of your club? He told me, it's the Power Place Club. I said, well, I'll be happy to join, Nick, but I need to know, what what does your club do? What does the Power Place Club do? He said, Dad, we go around looking for things to fix, things that are broken, and then we fix them. Simple enough. Look for broken stuff and fix it. And I can't think of a better definition for the mission of the church or even for the purpose of a Christian marriage. Don't just focus on yourself. 
Turn inward and you'll choke on each other. Rather, look around you and see if you can find some broken people and then help fix them. If we had this kind of mentality, then maybe God would have a reason to pour out His love and His joy and His power, the power of the Holy Spirit on our marriages and on our homes. Our kids could see the dynamic of God right within the four walls of their house. They would grow up with firsthand experiences in their frame of reference of how God works in real life. And parents, this is the one factor that will make your kids far more likely to invite the Lord into their home one day. Here's the challenge for couples. Rather than focus inward, the key for us is to focus outward. And when we do, God turns our humble home into a power place club. But Aquila and Priscilla, they not only took in Paul, they also took on Paul. This dynamic duo took people on. They took Paul on, not just as a co-worker in the tent-making business, but as a commitment that they would support for the rest of their lives. The three of them became devoted, faithful friends. In fact, when Paul moved to Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla went with him. They left behind a prosperous business to follow their friend. You know, I'm often alarmed and disturbed over many Christians' nonchalant attitudes toward their friends. Quite frankly, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of difference between the attitudes of Christians and non-Christians, especially when it comes to friendships. Folks today are so non-committal to relationships. I mean, you know, they'll swap churches at the drop of a hat. Men will uproot their families and their wives and their kids, and they'll leave a circle of committed friends to become strangers in another town, all for just a few measly extra dollars. No one seems to take seriously commitments to church and to friends. Parents, where are your children going to learn the value of friendship if not from you? Or the importance of church, if not for you. If their parents never take on a serious commitment to be part of other people's lives, how will they learn the value of Christian community themselves? Aquila and Priscilla not only left their business to journey to Ephesus with Paul, but they were willing to make an even greater sacrifice for their friend. In Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, Paul will later write this, Greet Aquila and Priscilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. One translation of that verse renders it, For my life's sake, they submitted their own throats to the knife. We're not told the exact circumstances of their sacrifice. But obviously, they were willing to put their own personal safety on the line for the sake of their friend. Would you be willing to do that? They were devoted even when it wasn't convenient. Obviously, the preoccupations of Aquila and Priscilla's married life weren't just their home and their IRAs and their furniture and their vacations. No, this marriage wasn't mired in materialism. This marriage Look for greater heavenly virtues and heavenly values. Which reminds me of the husband who suggested that his wife run for Congress. 
She, she took it as a compliment until she asked him why. He replied, he said, well, you really have a knack for bringing bills to the house. That certainly wasn't Priscilla's problem. The gospel, the family of God, their brothers and sisters in Christ were what mattered most to Aquila and Priscilla, even to the point of laying down their lives. Tradition tells us that Aquila and Priscilla were eventually martyred for Jesus' sake. Even in death, they stood side by side as they were beheaded with the sword. They lived together and they died together for Jesus' sake. You know, it's interesting. The Orthodox Church commemorates Aquila and Priscilla as saints. And it makes February 13th the day of their remembrance. This coming Valentine's Day, when you think of love, real love, don't just think of flowers and candies and candlelight. Think of a couple joining arm in arm to be a bright light for Jesus Christ. Well, Aquila and Priscilla, they took in people, they took on people, but then they also took people aside. When Paul left Ephesus to return to Antioch, Aquila and Priscilla stayed behind, and it was a good thing they did. For shortly after Paul's departure, another preacher came to Ephesus, a man named Apollos. Apollos, he had a sharp intellect. He was a brilliant orator. Aquila and Priscilla listened closely as he taught. We're told later in chapter 18 of Acts, verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. There was nothing erroneous about Apollos' message or theology. It was just incomplete. He knew only John's baptism the baptism of repentance. Apollos knew how to turn from sin and turn to Christ, but he knew nothing of how to turn on the Holy Spirit's influence in a person's life. He was ignorant of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Apollos needed to know of the supernatural infusion of power and joy that God makes available to his kids. We're told in Acts 18, verse 26, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. I love how they did this. They didn't go home and roast the preacher over lunch, putting him down for all that he didn't know. Nor did they chastise him behind their back at the next home fellowship. Rather, they humbly approached him, took him aside, bought him a steak at Longhorns one day, and explain the way of God more accurately. And apparently, Aquila and Priscilla were convincing. To persuade a man as bright and as educated as Apollos, they must have had a great grasp on the Scripture themselves and the ability to articulate their knowledge effectively. They were students as well as spokespeople. You know, we've noted that Aquila and Priscilla were always together, and this brings up another point. They were certainly in the Word of God together. During their 18 months in Corinth, they attended Paul's Bible study and they brought the teacher home. I'm sure they had many a late-night conversation discussing the Scripture. And let me just say, if you want to wed marriage and ministry, the place to start is reading and studying your Bible together. 
Let me suggest, why not read a chapter of your Bible and then discuss it over dinner? Why not find a devotional that you and your spouse can work through together? Why not listen to a teaching CD and then discuss it, you know, over an evening out? Whatever it takes, just do it. A few minutes of the day, a few minutes of the day in the Word together is the greatest investment you can make in your marriage. Some of Kathy and Sandy's best times together on the weekends when I discuss my Sunday sermon with Kathy or on Monday when she shares with me what she's going to be teaching in her ladies' Bible study. We share ideas together. We try to help each other get a better grasp on what we're reading. God uses these times to remind us of how valuable we are to each other and how we need each other's insights. Aquila and Priscilla, they took the time, they made the effort to take aside a young man with promise and share with Apollos their knowledge of the Scriptures. And as it turns out, this Apollos, he became a mighty man of God. I'm sure it had a lot to do with Aquila and Priscilla. Apparently, Aquila and Priscilla were not great speakers with large public ministries, but they were grounded in the Word, and they were willing to open their home to teach others. And my suggestion is who knows the young Apollos you could affect if you were willing to take people aside and share with them your knowledge of God's Word. Yes, you'd have to sacrifice an evening alone. Yes, your routine would be disrupted. Yes, it would take redefining family time from time spent on each other to time ministering with each other. But whatever adjustments it takes are worth it. The blessings that come when you focus your ministry outward rather than inward are eternal and they're enormous. And finally, I want you to notice Aquila and Priscilla, they took people out. No, they weren't hit men or assassins. Rather, they provided believers a safe place from the world's influences where they can learn and grow and fellowship together. Everywhere Aquila and Priscilla lived, They started a church, a fellowship of believers in their home. Did you know that for the first 350 years of the church's existence, Christians met in private homes? There were no single-use church buildings. People gathered in living rooms to worship God and to study His Word and to break bread together. One of the early church leaders, a man named Justin Martyr, He was asked by an unbeliever. He said, where do you Christians assemble? Justin Martyr replied, where each one can and will. You believe, no doubt, we all meet together in one place, but not so. For the God of the Christians is not shut up in a room, but being invisible, he fills heaven and earth and is honored everywhere by the faithful. Aquila and Priscilla were a couple who understood this truth. Wherever they went, they opened up their hearts and their home to the believers in the area. While in Corinth, the church met in Justice's house. Aquila and Priscilla's place must have been too small. But when the couple moved with Paul to the city of Ephesus, God blessed their tent business so that they could purchase a larger dwelling. And their new house became the new home for the church of Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, Paul is writing from Ephesus when he says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church 
that is in their house. Apparently, their home was a hub for the church. Later, Paul visits Corinth while Aquila and Priscilla move back to Rome. When Paul writes to the Romans, he greets Aquila and Priscilla, and then he adds, and greet the church that is in their house. They're at it again. Everywhere this couple locate, it doesn't take long before they make their home available to the believers. See, to invite people, a few people, over to your house for fellowship. I know what it'll mean. It'll mean you're going to have to clean your house. Well, don't you think it's about time? It'll mean you'll have to worry about what to do with the kids. It'll mean you'll have to make an effort to invite people. But the blessings you'll gain by opening your heart and your home for the Lord will be incalculable. Again, I can speak authoritatively on this subject. Not only did Kathy and I start a church in our home 38 years ago, but in the years since, our living room has always been a place for fellowship and for Bible study. We've always been involved in taking people out of the world and giving them a new place to call home. It can be done in church, but the best venue is in a home. Far too many folks in our world today are home alone. They're isolated. They're vulnerable. They're lonely. They're prone to get in trouble. They lack refuge. There are people here at Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain who've never had a family life, a healthy family life. And they're desperately to know what it's like to be in a family that's healthy and holy and whole. Perhaps you could take them into your family, make them part of your family. God does wonderful things in the life of a couple that's committed to ministry. Let me close with an interesting story about a wedding that took place in Connecticut. A groom and a bride, they tied the knot, and all went well until after the ceremony. At the reception, the bride thought the groom was stuffing wedding cake into her mouth with a little too much force. She retaliated, and the newlywed couple came to blows. Their honeymoon began with a giant brawl. And this is what happens too often in a marriage. We get upset at our spouse over petty crimes, picky stuff, like stuffing wedding cake with too much force. Whereas if we would just look outside the window and see the homeless person on the street with nothing to eat at all, I doubt if we'd worry so much about how we were feeding each other wedding cake. A couple's problems look a lot less significant when they get their eyes off themselves and focus on caring for the spiritually hungry and homeless around them. Truly, the words of Jesus spoke to individuals that he spoke to individuals are also true of marriages. In Matthew 10, verse 39, Jesus told us, He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. As I said earlier, the key to a truly happy and fulfilling marriage is not in trying to live happily ever after, but in living actively ever after. What's true in life is true in marriage. Open your heart in your home and let God use your marriage or close off to God and you could lose your marriage. In God's plan, ministry and marriage go hand in hand. 
So let's summarize what we've learned. We need to take in people. We need to take on people. We need to take people aside. And then we need to take people out of this world and give them a home. And when we do, you just watch. You watch God take care of your marriage.